This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Jump Statistical Discovery Software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results. Welcome back to the PolicyViz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, we're going to go a little uh, over the Atlantic. I'm happy to have on the show Martin Lambrex from Belgium. Martin, I was close, I think. I'm pronouncing your last name, but maybe not yeah, quite there. Yeah, actually very close. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks Great. for having me. Uh, I'm really glad uh, you could come on the show and chat uh, with me. Uh, we have a lot of great uh, projects of yours that I want to talk about. But uh, first off is congratulations on uh, new website, uh, new um, journey, I guess, into the freelancing sphere, uh, data journalist, data designer, and visualization consultant. I think you have your work cut out for you. Um, before we get into maybe some of your projects, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your background and uh, what your goals are, what your dreams are for uh, for the new uh, venture you're undertaking? Okay. Um, so I, I graduated some 13 years ago as a bioengineer and I also have worked some, um, years as a bioengineer and an agricultural economist. Um, but then I stumbled more or less into journalism and for the past two years I was working at Mediafin and it's a Belgian company and publisher of two newspapers, uh, the TED in Dutch and Leco in French. And I worked there as a data journalist and um, yeah, um, a visual journalist, making charts and maps, interactive and static. And um, a few weeks ago, I switched to a uh, freelancer. So um, I'm now for hire. Um, I, I teach, I give workshops in data visualization and data journalism. And I also design visualizations. So, yeah. So the whole range of things that people need. So... Um, if you are in Belgium or Europe or anywhere in the world and you need someone to help you with your data visualization needs, uh, Martin is, is uh, a great guy to go to. And so uh, we're going to talk about some of his projects so you can get a flavor of the type of things that he works on. Um, I want to start with one of the uh, really neat projects uh, you did. And I think you launched this at Malofier conference last March. Um, your Rock and Pole uh, project is sort of an interactive data story on explaining uncertainty in poll results. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into that and why that was interesting to you, then a bit about how you built it and what you were trying to do with it? Yeah. So I was a bit annoyed uh, about how polling results were reported um, here in Belgium, but I guess the, the situation is uh, similar in other countries. Um, so reporting focused on small differences in poll results, and I want to show um, the, the public, but also my colleague journalists, that focusing on small differences is not a great idea because in polling results you have uncertainty and small uh, differences can be the result of randomness. 
And I wanted to explain it visually and without using any statistical formulas because I knew that a lot of people would just uh, switch off mm. with the first formula. And so I built it interactively and I also made it a bit like a story. So I explain these things step by step and people can interact. They can generate their own polls and they can see how polling more people influences the, the polling results. And in the end, they can generate eight polls at the same time. And then they can see the differences um, between those polling results. And they can see um, that randomness actually can play a big part um, in, in polling results. So it was my attempt to explain one aspect of polling um, and, and the uncertainty that goes with that. But yeah, visually and, and interactively. So without uh, using any uh, statistical formulas. Do you think that people don't understand uncertainty because we don't, we being whoever we is, uh, capital we, uh, don't do a good job of explaining uh, what uncertainty means, that we use terms of margins of error and people just don't understand it, or or we present sort of, you know, there's a 52% uh, you know, 52% of people support this candidate. We sort of uh, provide it as this, you know, solid, hard, specific number. And, and maybe we should be a little bit softer uh, about how it's presented. Where where do you see the pain points, I guess, of presenting uncertainty to uh, news readers or media readers or people who may not just be familiar with, with the statistics and, and the underlying uncertainty? Yeah, um, I think uncertainty is something really hard to understand, and even I uh, struggle with it sometimes. Um, the thing we need to do is make it visual. There are some techniques to um, to show uncertainty. You can, uh, first of all, visualize the interval, uh, the confidence interval. You can play with animation. So there are a lot of techniques, and there's also research uh, about um, how best to represent uh, uncertainty visually. So first step we need to take, I think, um, as visualizers is um, when there is uncertainty, uh, also show it in our graphics. Um, because then people, but also the, the journalists who are reporting on the story, they will notice that there's something there. And when they see overlapping intervals, um, they might be a bit more hesitant in uh, drawing big conclusions from, from the data. Mm-hmm. So, I think we need to just show uncertainty when there is uncertainty visually. Um, and then people will start to be more susceptible to uncertainty and, and maybe even un- understand it better. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of reasons, I think, why uncertainty is not well understood. And, and from the sort of media perspective, it's a lot easier to give the point estimate of something there's this is this is 46 percent as opposed to saying well it's 46 percent but plus or minus x and y how do people get around uh, or content producers really get around that where you want to give something quick and short and and get to the point but also you need to convey this uncertainty you've mentioned making it visual but i can imagine a lot of times where you know you're writing a report or a journal article or, or a news article I mean, how do we, as people who are working with data and visualizing data, how do we try to educate people, I think, a little bit more on what uncertainty means, what probability means, um, and those sorts of things? 
Well, I think we we just have to have the the journalistic reflex that if if there's something we don't understand, we need to ask it to someone who does understand. So, when a reporter wants to write a story about polling results, for example, he wants to be sure that there's a story there. He just needs to talk to the people who conducted the poll or or other people who are more uh, statistically savvy. So they just need to ask for advice. Yeah, um, thank. Yeah, the people conducting the polls also have a big role to play in, in, in the whole system of polling, in my view, um, because often they don't do a very good job on reporting the results to the reporters. The the confidence intervals and margin of errors that are put in, in, in the small print at the end of the documents, for example. Yeah, for, for journalists to understand what is in the results is actually really hard because the the the, the explanation uh, uses uh, the jargon the statistical jargon so um, people conducting the polls also have a responsibility in explaining what the, all the results mean yeah yeah that's a great point um the the rock and poll project you did was an interactive uh, visualization tool but i know you also have some strong feelings, maybe we should say, about the relationship between interactive visualizations and static graphics. Um, you were at Malofier last year. Archie Say gave a great talk on why maybe the New York Times is sort of moving a little bit away from interactivity. Can you talk a little bit about your feelings on maybe moving away from interactivity towards towards static graphs? Yeah, I think Archie did a good job there um, in in just showing that also the the big newsrooms who used to do these very complex um, interactives and they're stepping away from that. And um, this was actually good news for smaller newsrooms because um, producing uh, static graphics is a lot easier and and needs less time um, and and less people to do it. Yeah, it's it was actually good news. But stepping away completely from interactivity, um, I think, isn't the solution because um, for some data sets, uh, it's actually useful to have some some interactivity. For example, if you want uh, readers to discover the stories in the data that, that are most relevant to them, you have to give them some search forms, for example, or some, some other controls to, to find their own stories. Um, so I think, um, yeah, we, we, we can step away completely from, uh, from interactivity because interactivity also can be really powerful. Um, without interactivity, my, my rock and pole, uh, wouldn't be so comprehensible and would be, yeah, uh, right. more, uh, boring. I think, um, we like seeing moving things on, on the screen. So, um, I think, um, yeah, we should be keep doing interactives, um, but as Archie said, um, that's it's it's really hard to make it work on on all screens. Well, I see some websites who are doing really great interactives at the moment, um, but they're not in journalism. They mm. uh, they're more like um, RT projects or uh, experiments. And they work really well on desktop. And when you open them on the small screen, they just say, um, I'm sorry, for, for this, you need a bigger screen. <laughs> yeah. And I think there there's some value in that because, yeah, if you want great visual and interactive things, you need pixels. It's a bit a pity that uh, news is consumed so much on smaller screens. Um, I, when I started working in journalism, um, it was all desktop 
and obviously we we have to face this reality but we can't uh, throw away the interactivity completely just because people are reading news on smaller screens there's a lot of value uh, of putting more complex and visual interactive things on bigger screens mm -hmm. so um, yeah you have to balance the two i think yeah what i find interesting about interactivity is that in some ways it's more complex to create because you need to know how to use those tools or those programming languages to create the interactivity where, you know, everyone can make a chart in Excel and that's fine. Um, and, you know, some, and, you know, things like Tableau and, you know, high charts and things, maybe they're not that complicated, but it requires some, some other level of skill or, or knowledge. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, in some ways it's lazier. I feel like a lot of the interactive pieces are lazier because the creator just says, well, here's an interactive piece. You can just go dive into it and go figure it out on your own. Whereas in the static pieces, we have to think about the annotation and the notation and, and the text to help the, the user understand. Do you sort of see that conflict? Do you think that people just put things, make things interactive because they have the tool in front of them and they can and it's just an easy way to do it? Well, I don't think it's lazy um, and I don't really see a conflict. Um, if you make things uh, static, then you have to think really well about the, the message you, you want to convey. Uh, and that's that's a great thing because it, it, it lets you focus. Um, but for me, the, the, the greatest pieces are the ones where you um, guide your reader through a data set, maybe in, in a... Um, a sequence of static charts or maps and then in the end you give the control to your reader and you say well here's all the data go look for yourself mm. um, try to find your own stories or the stories most relevant to you and um, I think those are yeah the, the most powerful because you um, you explain first what is in there and what are according to you are the stories in there and then you just give away all the data and you give the, the, the reader uh, some controls to find the road story. And I think th those, are, th those are the pieces I enjoy the most. Mm. When you start a new project or when you're given data, do you immediately start down a, in your mind? Do you start a stat, down a static path or do you start down an interactive path when you're thinking about sort of the final project? I think that develops along the way. But in most cases, you have an idea of what you want to achieve. Mm. Um, so, um, I think the, the decision to build an interactive alongside, uh, some, some static, uh, visuals or, or, uh, just, um, interactive on itself. I think this decision is made pretty early in, in the whole process. Um, because, um, yeah, you, you need different things that the data needs to be structured uh, in different ways for example if you if you're building static things you can mostly um, calculate some aggregates for example and and build some build some charts um, if you want to go interactive then um, you start most of the times with with the raw data the, the non-aggregated data because um, yeah you you want to show all you have mm. um, so I think this decision is made um, pretty early in the whole process. Can you talk a little bit about your development and creation process and the and the sort of suite of tools that you that you use? Well, what I do um, when when uh, workload permits it, and th those are mostly uh, during summer and, and and winters and during holidays, uh, is learning new tools or extend my knowledge of of tools I already use. 
And last summer, I took the occasion to um, to learn some R and and also ggplot2, the the R package for visualization. And um, I noticed that um, when when you know those tools, uh, you know how to work with them. Um, you don't need uh, a lot of um, Excel anymore because. Um, yeah, it, it has some advantages mm-hmm. using R, for example. Everything you do is recorded. You you build scripts, and um, when new data comes in, you can just run the, the script against it, and then you, you have, uh, in the end, a, a new visualization with the fresh data. Um, in Excel, you um, a lot of the times, you just have to start from zero and repeat all the steps uh, you did before. So I use R. To make sketches, uh, what I have done also is um, produce PDFs within R, uh, which I send to the the graphics people, the people who make graphics for the newspaper. So I make like the the, the structure of of um, a visualization, and um, they finish it off for for the newspaper. Um, and then for interactives, I I use um, yeah I use D3 mm-hmm. like. Most of the um, online interactive visualizations. Um, so, yeah, I can really recommend people to learn some R because it's it's really powerful. And um, if you invest some time uh, in it, you'll notice that it will save you uh, a lot of time later on. And it can seem like a big mountain, but I I can guarantee it it really pays off. Yeah. You mentioned when you were at um, at the newspaper working with the design. Uh, the design staff. How do you get together? How do you work in teams? Um, or, or maybe the better question is, what's your view of sort of the the skill sets that are needed in a team to sort of have this entire workflow of writing and data visualization and maybe you know data analysis, statistics, and and design? Sort of, if you could build your perfect team. Um, do you have sort of this core skill sets in, in, in mind already? Um, well, I think um, you have to have someone who is comfortable working with data. Um, and then you also need someone who knows how, uh, well, what visualization fits to what data, for example. And then you need someone who can um, finish the design. So someone who knows uh, who knows design, who know, knows typography. Um, if you're in a print environment, you need to have someone who understands the logic of print um, because it's really different from, from online. Yeah, and then uh, obviously a reporter. And I think it's also really important for reporters to to know a bit about visualization, um, to know what what's chart types uh, are out there and what chart types could fit their story and also how to mix charts with text. Um, Because a lot of the times a chart is just something to illustrate uh, a written text. And I think those are missed opportunities. You really need um, text and visuals to work together. Mm -hmm. Is there a a skill that you think is missing from... Um, let's just let's start with the the data visualization uh, people who sort of you know regularly make visualizations and do data visualization. Is there a skill set that they're really missing? Like if I if someone asked me you know what skill set are researchers missing from communicating their work? You know one of the first things I would say would be you know they're not thinking visually and so they're not thinking about how to communicate to 
um, a, a sort of broader audience. Is there a skill set that you think the data visuals, you know, people who are who are uh, you know, primarily making visualizations. Is there a skill set that they are, for uh, back of a letter term, a b- lack of a better term, maybe they're lacking? Um, well, um, really interesting that you ask that because uh, just today um, I was looking at a cartogram of the Netherlands, mm-hmm. which is not my, my own country. And I was noticing that it was very hard to interpret because I was I wasn't familiar enough with with the normal shape of of the the country of the Netherlands, so I couldn't really um, estimate the 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 um, how, how do you say the deviations that that were shown in the, in the cartogram. So yeah. in the cartogram. <laughs> Um, the the polygons of of the provinces in this case um, are distorted according to some some data value, um, but I'm 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 not from the Netherlands, so I couldn't really understand the map. And what we often forget is that people who are not looking at graphics day in day out, like uh, like me or like uh, like other people who, who make those graphics, um, that it's often um, not so easy for lay people to get into um, yeah like um, graphics they're not familiar with yeah. um, so we re- really need to um, pay attention to that we we have to um, add enough annotation so people can understand everything in the graph really well and and uh, the bar to get into it is is, is lowered um, but on the other hand, I also think that we um, need to experiment, um, and especially in media, um, I think we have a role to play in educating our readers um, on, on um, less common graphics, um, because sometimes a, a story can benefit from from a graphic that's not like a, your normal bar chart or line chart. It's it's more like an, an exotic graphic. Um, and I think we, we, we just have to, in those cases, go for it and publish um, those weird graphics um, because they can illustrate the story sometimes uh, much better than, than, than the day-to-day bar charts and line charts. Um, but, um, yeah, we need to be conscious that not everybody is looking at charts and maps uh, all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is that is certainly true. Do you have uh, do you have a uh, a particularly favorite uh, non-standard, shall we say, uh, uh, chart type these days? Um, well, I, it it still surprises me how few slow graphs I see in yeah. in media, especially because they're so efficient and also very elegant. And uh, in a print environment, in a newspaper, they they fit really well because they're they're they can fit into one column of text, for yeah. example, or, or maybe two. Um, and a lot of times when when um, report reporters want to show the differences between two time periods they they use bar charts um and a slope chart is just so simple and beautiful and effective and we're still not using it so um that keeps keeps surprising me yeah yeah i think that's i think that's that's right and i think it's uh one of those like you said one of those graph types that's sort of new uh to most people um, and requires some explanation of not only the content but also how to how to read the chart so it sort of adds that layer of uh, layer of complexity, I guess, to, to a lot of readers. But in essence, it's just a line chart. But no, that's only right. That's right. With two, with two points in time. Two so. points, yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, Martin, this has uh, been really interesting. Um, I'm really excited about the work you've been doing in 2016 and certainly excited to see what comes out of your new uh, efforts here in 2017. So thanks for coming on the show and uh, good luck this year. Well, uh, thank you very much and thanks for inviting me. It was a real honor. It was great. Um, and thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and please check out Martin's work on his website and the various projects that I will link to on the show page. So please also let me know what you think of the show, guests that you'd like to hear from, comments, suggestions, either on the website at policyviz.com or on Twitter. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz Podcast is brought to you by Jump Statistical Discovery Software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results.